it's very easy for me. It's very easy for everybody to put limitations on themselves. You'd say, okay, when I get here, then you almost think you, you've reached the finish line. But it's like the finish line keeps moving with you. It's being open to what comes into your world at this moment. Hi, I'm Caitlin Peterson, the Editor-in-Chief of Business of Home. Welcome to Trade Tips. In every episode, I'll be talking to interior designers about everything from nurturing creativity and finding their firm's financial footing to discovering their own version of success. This season, we're also focusing on finding purpose, whether that's in the work you do for clients or your impact on the world at large. My guest today is a kitchen designer who found that specializing allowed her imagination and expertise to reach new heights. The real challenges came when she turned her attention toward professional growth for her own business and for the next generation of designers. I can't wait to share it with you. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Jaipur Living, the definitive source for handmade rugs. With almost 50 years of artisan-made rugs, Jaipur Living proudly preserves the time-honored artistry that has been passed down through generations of skilled weavers. A Jaipur Living rug is not just aesthetically pleasing, it's also built to withstand the trials of daily life. Join Jaipur Living's trade program today to receive exclusive benefits, including special pricing, promotions, and so much more. You can also explore thousands of ready-to-ship products, order from a comprehensive assortment of free swatches, and discover a unique custom program at jaipurliving.com. That's J-A-I-P-U-R L-I-V-I-N-G dot com. I grew up in a very modest home. Interior design was nowhere in my childhood. It wasn't until I graduated from high school and it was time to go to college. And being a first-generation college graduate... I really didn't know what that process looked like. And my father said, yes, you should go to college and I think you should study business. And I was in uh, school for about the first year and I was just kind of on the treadmill. And I'm thinking, is this what college is? As I was reading the curriculum and it said, oh, you can take an interest class. And I found myself way on the other side of campus in an interior design class. And quickly I realized I belong in the arts. (laughs) That's Karen Rideau. After two years studying at the junior college, she went on to earn her degree in interior architecture from Arizona State University. Upon graduation, Karen realized that she was drawn to one niche above all else. I thought, you know, I'm really interested in kitchens. Every time I open a magazine, I'm drawn into kitchens. I was at that point, very ready to get out of Arizona. And I had a girlfriend who had graduated with me and said, well, I'm going to be a lighting designer in LA. You should look in LA, maybe we can room together. And that's exactly what I did. I landed my first professional job in kitchen design here in Pacific Palisades, California. It's a very small kitchen design studio. 
And somewhere in between, they decided we really want to open up a showroom in West Hollywood. They were investing all of their time and money and means into this showroom, which was huge. Unfortunately, another year or two into it, they did not make it. And so they went out of business and I found myself saying, now what? (laughs) After the kitchen design company she'd been working at went out of business. Karen worried that she didn't have the tools or the resources to continue on in the design industry. Then she secured a project and found a partner to help her navigate those early years on her own. The partnership may not have been built to last, but Karen emerged from the relationship ready to stand on her own two feet. The woman I was in business was a little bit more mature than I was, I would say by 15 years at least. So her interest in growing the business didn't align with mine. After about 10 years, she was feeling like she was ready to retire. And I felt like I was just starting on my journey. And although that relationship didn't keep going, when it did break up, it allowed me to also see, now that I know I belong here, what is my ultimate vision for the company? And where can I ultimately take this? I wanted to talk to Karen about using social media to attract clients and employees, the benefits of being a kitchen specialist in an industry filled with full-service designers, and how combining design with her other passions has allowed an entirely new expression of her brand to flourish. Your growth goals sort of weren't aligned in that partnership. What did you want from the business early on? Well, I'm not going to lie. At that point, you know, it was me and maybe one or two people. Employee-wise? Yeah, yeah. And I'm just as good as my team. Um, I have the ideas now. I have the ex- I have 30 years of experience. And I'm kind of jumping forward. But um you need you need a team you also need support and um i feel like you know that was another big leap for me was making the decision to grow it and um it organically has to happen because you have to have the clientele that can support the team but it was also being able to say i'm open to growing it and taking on more work as long as we know a lot of times you limit yourself because if you only know it's you and one or two other people, you can only do so much. And so I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but it's (laughs) allowing yourself to grow so that you can bring on additional people. And what I realized, um, this was, I would say probably about halfway into uh, my succession of the business. So let's say 15 years was a huge step to say, you know, I realized there is enough business out there that will allow me to grow. And it, it's always been in baby steps. I've never like said, I'm going to take it from here to here and tomorrow. It's <laughs> always been, it's always been in, I call them baby steps. I mean, but that also means that you're always sort of in motion, right? Like there's never a moment where you're like, okay, we're going to stop growing for a while. There's always sort of that incremental additive feeling. It does because one thing I have found that has contributed to my success is being open. It's very easy for me. It's very easy for everybody to put limitations on themselves. Even, I don't mean physical, but just like mental. 
could say, okay, when I get here, then you almost think you, you've reached the finish line. But it's like the finish line keeps moving with you. And so you don't know what it's gonna, where it's going to take you. Is it taking you forward? Is it taking you left? Is it taking you right? And none of it is, <laughs> is wrong. It's just that it's being open to what comes into your world at this moment. You had a couple people on your team and you decided, I really intentionally want to grow this business. What are those baby steps as you're looking to kind of grow incrementally over time? And did you have a stopping point in mind? Was there a number that you thought, oh, this number will be good and then we're fine? No, I have no intentions of, of, of getting bigger. What I think the pivotal moment for myself would have been, would be probably about six years ago, seven years ago. Here I had at the, at that time, you know, close to 20 years of design work that I've done and I've um, become successful in, in design within the community. And as I said, I always watch my colleagues, you know, other interior designers, what are they, what are they doing? And um, I started thinking, well, gosh, they're, they're getting published in these magazines. They're doing all these, this beautiful work and getting um, accolades for it. I wonder if I belong there. And then when I saw somebody who had been in the industry for five or six years, had this beautiful design spread, I said, wait, I, I think I could do that. But, and it's still that question of, do I belong here? I'm, I think it's like when you're young and someone tells you, you, you know, you're five, you need to lose five pounds. You always think you need to lose five pounds. That's like, you'll go to your deathbed <laughs> thinking that. So it's that sense of belonging, you know? And I was talking to some friends and I said, they were like, you need to photograph your work. And I said, well, my work does not look like the magazine, the ones in the magazines. They're like, oh, Karen, you get a stylist and they style it that way. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> and so I went out and hired a stylist and a photographer. And I would say, Caitlin, in two years, we shot a plethora of work. Were you going back to old projects and saying like, hey, can we just come in yes. and take pictures? Okay. Yes. I was going back to projects that were, you know, maybe four or five years old. Some of them were current. Some of them were two or three years. And I realized, wow, this is a big investment. Yeah. But once I had the work, I was like, okay, now I can use it for Instagram. I can use it to... Um, to hire a publicist, if you know, to get it in magazines or, you know, so I started doing that. And I realized that's a big piece of the puzzle. I didn't know. Had you been photographing your work before? No, I never did. And I think partly it was because I felt like it wasn't worthy. You know, It was okay. one of those questions. And I, and I feel like I'm sure a lot of other designers feel the same way. That's why I feel like I'm Mentorship is so important for me. And once I started, you know, being published, I said, now what do I do with all of these assets of photography that I have? And that's where I decided to do the book. So from that pivotal moment, not only could I get publication, not only could I start a valid Instagram, I could, I, it also gave me assets to, to do this book. And I also contribute to timing is everything because the book uh, option came 
around with COVID, which happened to be one of our busiest years in design ever. So had I had that opportunity or said a book maybe three years earlier, I might, even though I have the assets, I might not have been able to take that step. When you started, you know, documenting your work, when you started investing in showcasing the work in that way, how long before you felt the difference? It was pretty instant because I feel that once you begin and there's publication, people see you in it. My clients will say, oh, I saw you in this or I saw, you know, past clients, future clients, future employees, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, I've seen your work, you know, so it really does affect your business in so many ways. I don't think I've ever talked with anyone about that. So we're going to keep going on that. That's fascinating. The idea that press isn't just for clients, but also about attracting the right future employees is really interesting. Does that change the kind of candidates coming in? Absolutely. I think so. Because at that moment, they have an interest to be there. It's not just a job. When I hire someone, I'm hiring them for their talent, but their dedication and and that they want to be here and help me grow the business. I'm not just a kitchen designer, you know, I've got a pottery collection, we make wine, we entertain. All of the things that I love are now part of my story and my business. And so someone coming in here has to, you know, equally love that and and want to be a part of it. How big is your team today and How do you think about growth now? My current team today is six people. Okay. I still consider myself a small business and I want to stay there. I I really want to stay there. Um, I'm not at the end of my career, (laughs) but let's face it, being three decades into it, I'm also not at the beginning. So... The biggest growth for me has been being able to incorporate my other passions into the business, like designing the pottery, entertaining, and how do all of my passions merge? Because it's all, they're all related to the kitchen. So I feel like I'm growing sideways rather than, than forward. Like I'm not... I'm not trying to, you know, get a staff of 20. Right. Was that ever a goal? No. Owning my own business was never a goal. (laughs) Right. It was, I just know it was my fate because I tried to get out of it. And once I just became more in acceptance, and I, I say this to anybody who listens, I don't want anybody to think I shouldn't do my own business. I just never felt like it was a desire. No, I mean, I get that. I mean, someone came on here, someone came on the show earlier this season and said, you know, like, I'm out for world domination. Like, I want this to be huge. And that's a really different (laughs) mindset than kind of like, I'm comfortable staying small. Right. I just, um, I'm happy where I am. I want to do good work. I want to have fun. And I want to enjoy my life too, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) this is very comfortable for me where I am. Now, if I got a big job and it warranted to five other people, I'm not going to, you know, put my blinders on. I'm going to openly look at it because 
that's where I've, how I've gotten to where I have by, by staying open. You know, you talked about expanding your business sideways into your other passions, the pottery, the wine, entertaining. Strategically, how did you start to decide, you know, these are all things that I love, these are all related to the kitchen, and they should all be part of my business? How do you harness your passions and make them part of your job? I think that was the, that came out, Caitlin, in the process of the book. Okay. So it's my husband, that's the winemaker in Santina and Sally. And so when we met 16 years ago, we developed a wine label. He's been doing wine as long as I've been doing kitchens. And so that business, you know, has grown. But what I found is when I would walk into people's house to talk to them about, you know, doing a first consultation on a kitchen, they would start asking me more about the wine business. <laughs> they were more fascinated. And so I thought, wow. Okay, so when we when we started writing the book, I was with Pointed Leaf Press out of New York, and they were very interested in the wine pictures, images. And so they said, I think we need to merge this as one brand. And so that's kind of how I felt like people have interest in a lot of your passions. It's how you present it. And, and it was part of my lifestyle, you know, the business just all kind of bled through together. We're taking a quick break to remind you to start with the rug. Japer Living believes in a design philosophy that's all about freedom and creativity and encourages its design partners with that simple mantra, start with the rug. Why? Because the rug is so much more than just a decor piece. It's also the foundation of a room's character and style. When you start with the rug, it becomes the palette, the texture, and the touch that defines the entire space. Join the brand's interior design program today and let a Jaipur Living rug help inspire your next design journey. I want to talk a little bit about kitchens. Because I know you said early on what it means to be a kitchen designer has transformed so completely in the three decades you've been in business. How we think about kitchens is completely different. The way we shop for our kitchens and live in our kitchens. How has that changed your business? How has that changed your passion for kitchens and sort of what your relationship with clients looks like? I feel like that change was about 15 years ago. People used to just put in cabinets and get new countertops. And it's one of the biggest things you could do for your house if you were going to sell it. It's one of your biggest investments. And when I design a kitchen, I think of it in uh, stages. You have a cleanup stage. You have a, a, a cooking stage. You have, And so you kind of start to set it up that way. It's become a little bit more complex than the kitchen triangle where the refrigerator <laughs> speaks to the right. sink and the sink speaks. It's become a little bit uh, more complex because it's it's this, how much space do you have? And it's also from in there, how do we function and how do two or three or four people function and not be in each other's way? It's also changed because kitchens become a real specialty to design. So now a lot of my clients come from architects 
who just say, you know what, we don't, we do, we'll give you the space, we'll allocate the space, but go to a kitchen designer. Um, a lot of our clientele come from interior designers. And I love that because you, you start to collaborate. You know, they have an aesthetic view of the kitchen and how it relates to the rest of the house. And so you become part of a larger team. And I, always, I love team teamwork because their work makes you shine and your work makes them shine. I feel like you have to respect everybody's talent. And the architect has his overall vision. Whether my aesthetic might be slightly different for the homeowner than not, I'm still going to revert back to him because that's ultimately where the client started. And by the time I get there into the kitchen, they've already developed a relationship. So I feel like I'm not here to come in and, and change it. I'm just there to make it feel just as beautiful as his architecture. Same with the interior designer. I feel with if there's something you really have a, 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 a deep thought about, I would never say it in front of a client. I might say, oh, did you ever think about doing this? Or let me hear your thoughts on it. Because I feel like relationships are super important and how you communicate with everybody. How have you approached billing for your work? How do you fit into sort of the the overall price point of a client's budget? And how do you talk about those costs with your clients? I charge by a flat fee. Okay. Why does that make sense for you? Because I feel like a, a per hour is very open-ended. And I also feel for me, the process can drag on. If you can state your fee, say it will take this long, you move through it. And it's just not a good place to be like as a per hour. I know it's accountable for everybody's time. And there's some jobs you win and some jobs you don't. Um, Because I've done this so long, I can pretty much know what goes into it. It's driven by task. Like, um, the design fee entails, you know, concept drawings, construction documents, lighting selections, appliance selections, plumbing selections, paint. And once you hit that last <laughs> line item, then you, you've kind of somewhat closed your, you know, what your scope is. Sometimes it can go into a phase two, but there's a beginning and there's an end. Are you also overseeing the entire build out of these kitchens that you're specifying? We do. And, and and in that flat fee is included time to to oversee the design process while it's in construction. A large part of our business we're highly qualified and specialized in cabinetry. So a lot of the cabinetry is purchased from uh kitchen design group and um it's manufacturally built out of state, at least for our kitchens. Beyond the cabinetry, are you also specifying kind of all the other materials, the lighting, all of that? And is some of the profit then from those sales? How do you navigate that when there are so many other team members on a job? If we're working in with an interior designer, it's pretty much noted from day one if they're going to do all the specifications for tile or stone or lighting. And then we will just do the plans and most of the time, just the cabinetry. And then we collaborate to make sure with the interior designer, everything of their choice goes in at the right time. 
if it's a, a, a project where it's just a kitchen and maybe a bathroom, then we will specify all the lighting, the materials, the tile, and get it to completion. We'll, we'll work both ways. We're, we're pretty full service. Is there one that's better for you than the other, one that you prefer over the other? Or is the mix part of the magic? I think both, both the mix is the part of the magic. I think um, I like both. I really like both because when you're working with other seasoned interior designers, you get the advantage to see what how they're putting their work together. And that's really a collaboration. So you learn from each other and the job becomes that much more beautiful. Are there any business practices you've put into place from kind of seeing them at work in other firms? Definitely organizational. And that can come down to once materials are specified, how do you organize them and get them to the client, get them to the builders? I I love seeing how other firms work and um, are successful in that way. Are there practices that they're doing that we could become better? I find them when you're running jobs, the more organized you can be, the smoother and the easier things run. And then you could put your time into the next job. And I also like to turn to my my staff too, because a lot of them have worked for other firms. And I'm always open to did you do it differently? And did that work better for you? Because they're really, they're really the team behind the scenes. And I want it to be functional and organized. It's not always your idea. It doesn't have to be the way you do things. I want to, you know, listen and support my staff. How much does the client see your team? Or are they only interfacing with you? Oh, no, they see my team and I and I'm um, make them aware of it. So I always meet with the clients. I have team members who are senior designers who will do design. But before our clients see it, we collaborate as a team on the design in-house. What does this look like? What if we did this? And we have somebody who's meeting with materials. And I make it very clear that, you know, sometimes you will be meeting with other team members. And I won't be at every meeting, but I'm involved with everything that's going out the door. I wanted to make sure that I took the time to ask you, you know, you're really involved in the Design Leadership Foundation. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that work. Yes, and thank you for asking. Um, The Design Leadership Foundation was started um, during COVID. And a lot of it had to do with the BLM movement and which, you know, a lot of good things came out of that. And it was started by Tom Kligerman, an architect out of New York. A lot of it has become part of the Design Leadership Network, which is a network that makes up of interior designers, architects, landscape architects all across the nation. And so it's an operating foundation. So it's been about three years in the making. I sit on the board. We are a foundation that is supporting students who can't really afford the profession. And we're helping with internships. We're trying to also create more diversity into the interior design industry, especially the luxury interior design industry, that it really represents the gamut of what the world looks like. (laughs) So, and that it's just not an elite group. 
What does it take to do that, to show design students that this is a viable career, that this is, you know, in some cases, that this world exists in the first place? How do you do that? How do you get students comfortable and excited about the luxury design industry? I think there's excitement and I think there's probably more hesitation, um, similar to what I went through, that the student feels they don't belong there. They didn't grow up in that kind of lifestyle. And so our pilot program has been at Mississippi State University. It was chosen because it had the largest students of color in architecture and interior design. So we've been going there once a year and we do three-day workshops with the students. And when you meet with students who really, you know, we're deep down into the South who have never been out of Alabama or Mississippi and, you know, California is Hollywood to them. (laughs) And it's being able to talk to them and saying, you know, you too can make a difference in this industry. And the world does need more than just one style of um, luxury interior design, it, you know, we need the world to participate. And we're, I'm super excited because we're going to start in the, on the West Coast. And so I'm kind of going to lead that launch. And my suggestion was to start not at a university level, but more at a junior college level. Because for me, that was pivotal. And see if we can get some of these students and mentor these students to you know, with, whether they stay in design or whatever they do. I mean, our, our profession is design, but whatever they do, you want them to have the tools to believe they can get there. I had my challenges, you know, getting here, but I'm here and I, I want, you know, everybody to know that, you, you know, if you have the insight to believe you can do it, you can do it. What is the, you know, when you go and you're doing the workshops with those students, what was kind of the the message for them or like the the takeaway the last day is them bringing in their portfolio and then we do a mock interview so we're the we're the business owner and we're interviewing them for a position and they're showing us their portfolio and and um i remember how nervous i was to do a portfolio because <laughs> you know some students have access to so many other things and so their portfolios And I've learned, go back to being a student, look at the people you want to align yourself with, but don't compare yourself to them because everybody has something different and unique to offer. Yeah. But I would start these interviews and I would find they would go left or right. And I, I got to a point towards the end of the day where someone would come in and I would say, Let's talk about what you need to talk about to be more successful. Tell me your fears. Tell me the things that you feel good about. And some kids would just start bawling. And I got there because I did hear kids breaking down. And I thought, I'm not going to interview you if we've got challenges we have to get through way before. Tell me how I can help you. And you tell me how I can make you a better student a better interviewer, you know, let's, this is your time. So it's really rewarding. It's, we're still in the, the growing process, but I feel I'm very committed to it. And I feel that it, it's going to be very successful. What is the one thing 
about running a design business that you wish you had known from the moment you founded your firm? I wish that I had been aligned with more professional interior designers. And at that time, I just didn't know any. I really did not know any. I moved to California. I was, you know, young for, you know, coming out here and starting. And I just didn't know a lot of interior designers. So um, there was nobody that I really could go to. And then I think some of the things I ultimately got to would have been answered much sooner. Like I wouldn't have waited 20 years to start photographing. (laughs) (laughs) But again, everything happens in its right time. What does success mean to you today? Success can be small or it can be large, but it, it really is that you've made it. You've, you've completed a task and you've made it and it could happen in one day you know, but it's not how big you are. It's not any time I can make a difference in someone else's life, I feel successful. If I achieved, you know, growing my business or doing something, if I've not shared with it to help someone else, mentorship, helping my team members be better people, then for me, there's no success in it. Because I feel like um, I didn't get here by myself. I I might have kind of led the road, but there's so many people that have contributed to the ultimate success. And I feel all of us, it's about how we can make success in other people's lives. Because that's ultimately what makes a better world. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, if you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, more great podcasts, check out new products, or browse job openings, head on over to businessofhome.com. If you have a note for the show or a story of your own to share, I'd love to hear from you. And you can email me at tradetales at businessofhome.com. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover the show. Trade Tales is produced by me, Caitlin Peterson, with Fred Nicolaus and Caroline Burke. This episode was edited by Caroline Burke and Michael Castaneda. Our theme music is by Kyle Scott Wilson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again in two weeks.